welcome to the Weekend Booktopian. I'm Mark Harding, Content and Brand Manager for Booktopia, and this is a podcast about the books we're reading. Joining me today are Category Manager for Kids and YA, Sarah McDilling. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Uh, we are also joined by our Category Manager for Nonfiction, Joel Nayum. Hello, Joel. Hi, Mark. And Business Development and Relationship Manager, Scott Whitmont, is also with us. Hello, Scott. Hi there. Uh, so first up today, some book news, then we'll delve into the books everyone is reading and be sure to stick around until the end of the show when my guests will go head to head in a battle for book quiz supremacy uh, that we like to call book fight. Uh, I can tell I can tell by some of the looks on people's faces that you forgot about that. <laughs> you can't see my face, but I'm not pleased. It's, a little, <laughs> it's always, always a little intimidating with your hairy questions, but we, we'll do our best. I've tried to every week I try and make them as fair as possible but um I view the quiz as an opportunity to learn obscure facts about about the horror books yeah. <laughs> obscure facts about the books that I like you, you should you should find a big brass mug as a prize or something I think booktopia big brass mug yeah, I mean, well, I I think I would I would win it because I've won every every there round I've played, and I and I still hold the the record for the most points scored, there which I'm go. not going to let anyone forget about. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked already. <laughs> There's a reason you're in your job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so our first bit of book news today uh, is just a little bit of acknowledgement and a little bit of Booktopia news. Uh, the bell was rung uh, on the ASX this afternoon. We're recording this um, on the 3rd of December. Um, and Booktopia is now officially a publicly listed company. That That is pretty exciting for those of us who work at Booktopia and for people who love Booktopia who, if they're lucky, might be able to get some shares if there's any left. It's a big deal, for especially for our founders who work very hard to get here. So uh, metaphorically opening champagne. Yeah, it has been a very long journey to get here from our uh, inception on uh, the famous $10 per day budget to where we are now. So uh, yeah, congratulations to um, everybody and hooray. I'm feeling quite emotional about it actually. Um, as someone who's worked at Booktopia almost long enough to remember the $10 a day, not quite. <laughs> but, um, but it's... I heard that's what they still pay you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what we all get paid? Inside a trading hub. <laughs> well, you, you say you, you say inside a trading. I've actually found you know I don't know how many listeners have gone through a process like this, but working for a company that is suddenly being listed on the ASX for the first time, it's been a real education that we've had to have these briefings from lawyers and learn about insider trading, and that you know if we're barbecues we better be careful about saying this is about to happen or that's about to happen or this is going wrong or this is going great at the company because it can be considered inside of trading so it's all been quite fascinating and I've, I've cancelled all my barbecue acceptances you know I've, I'm so paranoid now but it's, <laughs> it's been a really interesting process to learn what you what your responsibilities are when you work for a public listed company so that, that's been a journey too. It has and that makes me nervous so let's move on. To I know next. I'm getting very <laughs> nervous. <laughs> the next bit of, um, of news that uh, we wanted to discuss is that Mary Trump has announced a new book uh, which is called The Reckoning uh, which is about America's national trauma and it will be released in July of next year. Uh, Joel, I'll turn over to you as the uh, nonfiction category manager. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Mary Trump's new book, The Reckoning? Uh, 
I, I mean, the first book has been a huge bestseller and I think that's partially just because Donald Trump himself came out so strongly against the book and felt personally betrayed by his niece um, coming out to criticise the family. And I think, you know, from what I've read about Donald, he himself thinks he was very close to his brother who died in the 80s, um, fairly young, from alcoholism, um, who is Mary Trump's father. But the way that she portrays the whole experience is that the rest of the family drove him to the drink and drove him to death, basically. So it's I, I, I'm not sure a second book will have the same kind of impact. Um, it also, it sounds like it's a bit more general. It's about the sort of malaise of our times as a result of Trump, as opposed to, you know, a tell all about the inside family functionality sort of thing, the dysfunctionality. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. But, I, yeah. I agree with you, Joel, but I still think it's going to have legs, even if it mightn't be as long a legs as the first book, because I read the first one and uh, it was, you know, really fascinating and she can write, um, but people wanted the inside scoop on, on the family, of course, which this book won't offer. But I think she's developed some, some literary cred uh, from the first book as a commentator on American society and politics. So I still think those who enjoyed the first, and I'm one of them, uh, will be interested to read the second in her commentary because I think she's kind of proved herself that she can write and commentate, not just because she happens to be Trump's niece and knows the inside story, oh, I, I but she's, quite, she's an intelligent, agree. pretty good writer. So I, I still think it'll do pretty well. I'm looking forward to seeing what she produces. I think it remains to be seen what will happen in the world of books about Trump um, post-election. I'm not sure whether there's still the same appetite as there was, um, and it will really be, <clears throat> I think it's an open question. That's what happens. But at the of course, moment. this book is actually not about Trump as much as about the political landscape and what has led people to support him and and change their political colours. So I think it it will throw its net a bit wider than just those who want to read about Trump. I don't think the book's going to be just about him. But yes, it will be very interesting to see. Cool. Um, so the next thing we wanted to talk about is uh, the best of twenty twenty. Uh, it's December now. We're all having to think and a reflect on um, the books that you read this year. And Waterstones in the UK just announced Hamnet uh, as their book of the year. And I know that um, uh, Joel and Sarah are both hard at work on their lists of the best books for 2020, which I know you're not ready to release yet. But uh, what 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 are you thinking? Can you can you give us some hints and teasers as to as to where you guys are heading? Hints. Oh, I've been finding it, I don't know about you, Joel, but um, in doing this task of trying to pick, um, I, I think the, the allotment for kids is 10. So it's basically my top 10 of 2020. And um, not only is it hard to do just because kids encompasses everything from picture books through to YA. So you can only really pick a few things per age range. And also it's hard to balance like the big, blockbuster things that um, that it's crazy not to include because they really shaped like the when you look back on the year they're like huge standout hits with like the stuff that you just genuinely love and you have to so balancing all of that with just 10 choices is agonizing 
<laughs> what have you so, done to me? Maybe, maybe you <laughs> yeah, should that's do. Really <laughs> maybe you should do a five and five or two lists of ten, and one of the favorite bestsellers of the year, and one of the favorite lesser known books of the year. Two different lists. That would be interesting. Well, I think the the format is set for our for our official best of twenty twenty, but I might have to like. Um, work through some of the frustration of things I couldn't include <laughs> with some extra blog posts that are just like right. Sarah's favorites that weren't included. <laughs> I don't know. It's really hard. Yeah. I, I don't, I haven't, I think I have more picks than you, Sarah, because I've got um, a biographies best of and a nonfiction best of a more general nonfiction best of. So I've got um, a lot more picks. Uh, it is interesting to try and balance off things that you think, that the customers liked and then things you think you liked that will also have some kind of um, cult appeal of some kind. I, I mm. think that's a really interesting experience. Um, and also like in my area, at least, so many of the books that sell really well are like publicity driven. So it doesn't necessarily, people are curious and buy the books out of curiosity. They're not necessarily always the best books. Um, but I do think there are some really big standout books this year in nonfiction that are just beloved. So that those ones were easy, but it's uh, once you get outside of the obvious. I can so, think of you that I'm sure that I'm sure that are on your list. I'm, yes. I'm prepared to I'm actually prepared to go on record and say what my pick of the best of 2020 is. And it is a nonfiction book job, um, which is unusual. Uh, I can pick I can pick my best of 2022, but I can tell I'm happy to go on the record with my best my single best favorite book. Oh, um, go yeah. on, go on. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Uh, it's Phosphorescence by Julie Mann. Oh, yeah. That um, was the one I was thinking of. It's, it, it's, it's both a book I genuinely loved reading, but it's just such a 2020 book. Um, and uh, also our customers love it. <laughs> so um, it, it ticks all the boxes for me. It's such a beautiful, physically a beautiful book as well. Um, and, you know, for those who don't know what it's about, it's, it's basically a, about finding the silver lining in difficult situations, which mm. I, I don't, I can't think of a better year for everyone. And, and that's coincidence because uh, it was written book. before, it was written before COVID started. Yeah, so in fact, it's coincidence that it came out at this time. Total coincidence. So she wrote the book uh, off the back of her own personal um, tragedies and difficulties around um, uh, cancer and t cancer diagnosis. Um, and some other issues, personal issues. So this is there's some quite a lot of biographical information in the book as well. But it it's primarily around exploring different ways of essentially making yourself feel good <laughs> uh, in the face of darkness. Um, so that's where the title comes from, the idea of finding a glow in the darkness, uh, which sounds a bit airy fairy, but it's such a wonderful book. And uh, she was the last the last in-person podcast that um, we did at Booktopia before we shut up shop. Um, yes, so you can so. find that podcast on our channel and exciting news, <laughs> we're having a Facebook Live event with Julia on the 15th of December. Uh, so if you're listening to this prior to that, then tune in on the 15th. And if you're <laughs> listening to this post that, you can find it on our Facebook and YouTube. Oh, you, you win yes. either way. Very well done. <laughs> and, she's got a new, and she's got a new book in the same, similar, very similar mold to um, phosphorescence about grace, I think. Oh, um, what's it called? Think be, uh, right. Oh man, you put me on the spot and I don't Sorry. know. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I want to add it to my wish list. Yeah, it's not, it's not actually on site yet. So that's part oh, okay. of why I, I'm right. not familiar with it. Uh, but it, it's been announced. And, and she talked to me about it in the podcast, actually. She told me what, what she was working on next and that was the thing she was working on. Um, 
well, being, be being a book about seeing seeing positive things as silver lining in darkness and having just spoken about Trumpism and American politics, it sounds like it could be a big bestseller in the States. I hope it sells well there. It sounds like they could use it. <laughs> mm. sure. All right. Cool. Well, um, before we move on to the um, books that are reading, I do just want to quickly jump in and say my favorite book of the year was a book that I bought last week. And I read it in like one sitting. It's an incredible, amazing book. It's Trixie and Katia's Guide to Modern Womanhood by Trixie Mattel and Katia. Hey. And and it, it the introduction has one of the best lines from any book of the year. Uh, it says, um, reading a book is not a sign of intelligence. You're reading a book and you're a dumb idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I loved it. Well, 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 just I love so those two. They're hilarious. Just yeah. so it's not all nonfiction, I might throw in and say my favorite novel of the year is uh, one that I've spoken about on this podcast before. It's An Unusual Boy by Fiona Higgins. Again, I read it in almost one sitting. So many issues in one uh, one novel about Australian society and parenting and the police and the health system and there's so much in there but it's not overly done it's easy to read it's it's very gripping it's entertaining and really makes you think and so to me that has everything in a novel that i enjoy so really recommend that one awesome sarah did you want to go uh, and record something while, while, we're, while we're doing it sure um <laughs> can i can i do a little like one for each broad broad speaking age range because i don't know whether uh, just just in the interest of time i'm going to make you pick one no. Yes. <laughs> All right. If we're going best of the year and and um you know most in tune with 2020, I'm going to pick a picture book that is a response to 2020. So this was definitely written after we had landed ourselves in this year, and it is um Windows. Oh, good. Yeah, pick. like yeah. It's just it's. I, I guess if I have to pick one. I will pick that one, but it's really hard. It's, it's extremely hard. That's a great pick, like, Sarah. I, that book made me cry multiple to... times. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have a drink because, like, I should drink every time you mention Windows. Oh, <laughs> really? Because yeah. I'm always it's like, it's like your it. favorite of the year. I, I knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> well, it gave me such a like. It's it just gave me such a strong reaction. Like, it's not often that. Picture books are really emotionally, like, evocative, generally. Like, you often have, like, an oh response or something. Like, it's hard not to uh, react emotionally to picture books. But this one made me weep. And for, those, for those who don't know, Sarah, you should tell them that it's about, you know, living in lockdown, right? It is. So, okay, so it's Windows by Patrick Guest and Jonathan Bentley. And they um, created this book together, uh, the idea a lot. The idea is just that it's a picture book. It is about COVID, I guess, but it's not overtly about COVID. It's just um, a really gentle, lovely, sweet story that just goes all around the world, um, peeking in on, like, sorry, that sounds terrible, peeking through the windows at children, but you know what I mean? Like, it just sort of goes, it, it, it goes all around the world, allowing, showing children who are just like, trapped indoors, separated from their loved ones. And it shows children looking out of windows all around the world. I yeah, think, but we really. get to go into their house with mm. all of the kids. You, you know, it does sound really creepy the way that I chose to. I told I you the I was part, tired. The part of it, okay? the part of it that, the part of windows that always gets me is the, there's a section where, you know, 
obviously the grandparent, grandpas, the grandpas coming around to sort of dance around at the window to entertain the grand, yeah. the grandkid. And that's based on the actual story of the person who wrote being the separated book, from his son, who yeah. wasn't allowed being separated yeah. from his son uh, because he was a frontline worker and his son had um, possible um, immunity issues. So he wasn't allowed to be around him for the, for this whole lockdown period. Uh, and it just like completely gets me right in the feels, that part. All of the it's different great, grandpas great. as well, the way that they've made this a story for everyone, um, the way the illustrations work, just showing all of the different like grandparents who are separated from their kids and talking about when everyone will be reunited again. It will just bring a tear to your eye um, and I think it's a really lovely way for kids to kind of approach these topics because it's not too scary. It's just gentle and sweet and focusing on the human side of things. All right. Well, thank you for that, guys. Uh, we'll move on to the books that we're reading at the moment. Um, but before we do, we are sponsored. Now, we're often sponsored by a book but this week we're sponsored by four. Uh, so I'm sure we're all very well aware of Jennifer Batch's uh, wonderful novel, Dark Side of the Harbour. Um, we at Booktopia have loved her so much that we, uh, through Booktopia Editions, are going to be putting out not one, not two, not three, but four more of her books, A Very Public Scandal, Indecent Ambition, Whisper Her Name and Never Forget Me on December 15th. And guess what? If you buy all four of them, uh, you will save 20%. Uh, so head over to our website, booktopia.com.au, and check out Jennifer Batcher and A Very Public Scandal, Indecent Ambition, Whisper Her Name and Never Forget Me, bundled price from December 15th. Uh, save 20% when you buy all four. Mark, I'll just add, I read Dark Side of the Harbour, Sydney, uh, then and now story, historic and contemporary, and I couldn't put it down either. It's a really good story. She's a great storyteller, so I'll be jumping on those four myself. There, She's, she's a great uh, entertaining novelist. All right, now we've talked about our favorite books of the year, we've talked about our book news, now it's time to just talk about what we're reading at the moment. Um, Scott, why don't we start with you? What are you reading? Well, I've just read two, a fiction and a non-fiction, so I'll uh, um, you know, have one of each. Uh, one, we know the author because he actually is involved with this Booktopian podcast from time to time, Nick Vasiliev's When Men Cry. Uh, Nick wrote this as nothing to do with the fact that he uh, does social media with us and does this uh, Booktopian podcast uh, very often. But uh, in his own time, he wrote this very uh, engaging, entertaining novel about uh, young men coming of age uh, in Sydney, um, three friends who go out for drinks that they've been at college together, university together, and one of them clearly has got an issue, a problem that the others not, are not sure how to handle. And uh, what starts as a fun night out drinking and going to the casino and, and catching up together when one of them comes back from having been interstate uh, in the armed services, um, ends up to be a very different sort of journey as uh, the problems of one of them is revealed. And he really looks at men's mental health, issues of mental health that young people face, and not just mental health, but issues generally young people face when they're trying to find their own identity and their path and their career. And it's about mateship, about Aussie mateship and loyalty and friendship and redemption. And 
tell you the truth, and I've said this to Nick, uh, because I know him, I read it as a favor. I said, okay, I'll, I'll read it and tell you what I think. And then I was very pleasantly surprised. I said, this is damn good. I really, really love this book. Uh, it, it's got a lot to think about. It's 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 uh, very engaging, as I said, and uh, not just for men, but for women. It's just anyone in Australia, you know, who's grown up here can relate to um, a lot of the societal issues he brings up. Leaving home, your first live-in relationship, all those things things are there and even though I'm not a blokey bloke who goes plays football on the weekend or joins the army like some of these guys I could still relate to all of those coming of age issues that we all go through and uh, it would be a great present for Christmas if you're listening to this before Christmas uh, just a really really good read When Men Cry by Nick Vasiliev if your bookshop doesn't have it they can order it and of course you can get it on Booktopia um, so I wish him well with that I think he's really done very well with it and I hope he continues to write because he's shown some talent that I didn't know he had and it's really good. Um, the second one is something completely different. It's by Danny Shapiro, an American uh, writer who's written a number of nonfiction books, a number of memoirs. Uh, this one's called Inheritance, A Memory of Genealogy, Paternity and Love. It didn't just come out. It's been out for a little while, um, but I saw her in an online event being interviewed, so I wanted to read it in advance, and I just read it last week. Um, it's a true story of her uh, for a lark, like some people do, doing one of those DNA tests. Uh, her husband was doing it. She said, okay, I'll do it too. Never know what you'll find out. She was from an Orthodox uh, Jewish family, brought up a traditional Orthodox Jewish family in, in New Jersey. And uh, she was a family genealogist, has all the photos of her father's family going back to Poland and was very proud of that heritage. Uh, and then when she got the DNA results, uh, she found out that her half-sister, father had been married before, uh, actually did not share any DNA with her. And so her father, who she adored, who's passed, who passed away a few years ago, uh, was not her biological father. Um, so what was the story? How was that possible? Uh, both her parents had passed away. And she writes about discovering who her biological father was, uh, trying to see if she can meet him or his family and how they would feel about that. Uh, the fact that he wasn't Jewish and she came from this traditional Jewish background, how that affected her feelings of identity. And the whole ethics about DNA testing and what it can reveal when you don't expect it to reveal something and people are adopted or they were, um, you know, came from a donation from a donor or something, uh, all the ethics surrounding that, as well as her own journey of, of identity and acceptance and how it made her feel about her family and her love for her, her, her father who raised her versus the biological father she didn't know. So many issues. It was really, you know, a novel that couldn't be more gripping, but uh, a, a really interesting memoir about something that didn't exist as an issue until a few years ago, DNA testing, Inheritance by Danny Shapiro. That sounds super interesting. Thank you so much for that, yeah. Scott. You're welcome. And um, I think Nick, who will be editing this podcast, will have a very swollen head right now. <laughs> well, look, you know, it's it's true what I said. It's, I wouldn't have talked about it today if I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, all right. Uh, Joel, what have, what have you got to discuss today? So I've got, uh, I'm going to split it into two. The first one is just very, very simple. It is, um, well, it's, it's the book Sam Bloom, which is the follow-up to Penguin Bloom, which was released a couple of years ago. It's primarily photographic and the photographs are beautiful, but basically follows the story of um, a woman, Sam Bloom, who is um, made quadriplegic and finds it extremely difficult until the family rescues a baby magpie. 
and raises it, hand raises it. And so the, the photos are beautiful. And the, the reason I'm bringing it up to talk about it is partially because there's a movie trailer that's just come out. Um, Naomi Watts has made a movie of this and it's, it's total, the trailer will make you cry. And so <laughs> I'm basically just recommending people watch the movie trailer, to be honest. And then if you don't want to read the book after that, then it's not for you. But like the only, the only people I would say not to, not to watch it or have anything to do with this is people who will get really, really freaked out by the idea of a, of a magpie, <laughs> a magpie beak really close to someone's eye, because uh, there are lots and lots of photos of this adorable baby baby magpie named Penguin who uh, <laughs> goes so close to people's faces that <laughs> it does sort of freak you out. Um, but yes, that's that's my first recommendation. It's it both books are really really beautiful, so def they're definitely worth checking out. Despite the sad story, they're quite uplifting, aren't they, Joel? Yeah, they're really, really uplifting. Yeah. Um, and the, I, I think the film will be a massive tearjerker and very inspirational. Um, so, yeah, anyway, they're, they're beautiful books. Um, my second recommendation is actually two books because I haven't had very much time to read, for one. So I've do, been doing a lot of flicking reading, which I think is something that happens in particular on Christmas Day, at least in my family. But there's always like some fact-based, gimmick-based books that are given as gifts. And then when the conversation runs thin, someone picks it up and flicks to it and goes, uh, you know, uh, asks a question from the book and people start, you know, talking about it. So I wanted to recommend two of those types of books because they're hard usually to recommend as a book just to read. Um, so the first one is called What, what It's Like to Be Chased by a Cassowary, which um, is... Uh, a, it's a collection of explainer articles from the Herald and the Age, basically. But they, it contains all these insane facts and questions and ex explainers. So it, it is exactly the kind of thing that you pick up and, and open up to, to find one of those weird factoids that people find fascinating around the time of Christmas when they don't have uh, as, much, as much stuff to um, engage in conversation. Yeah, families, families are not as interesting as you think generally, um, including um, the, the the central question from the book is, is the from the title is what it's like to be chased by cassowary, which is utterly terrifying, honestly. They're like, uh, the closest you get to raptors <laughs> from uh, Jurassic Park, I think, uh, wow. in, the, in the real world. And I, I, I recently went to Symbio, the wildlife park in down the South Coast with my kids. And I was carrying my son on my shoulders and we kept, and the cassowary area looks like a dinosaur cage from Jurassic World. And we were like peering in. And then the cassowary came running out of the bushes at us and <laughs> scared the ever loving uh, crap out of me. So um, it is really <laughs> quite fascinating to read about cassowary. So I, I highly recommend that. Dr. Carl is the second book I want to recommend in this type of book. Um, this book would be great for kids as well as for adults. And it's the perfect book for this type of Christmas factoid reading. And I saved uh, a great fact from this that's just for Mark. Um, so um, <laughs> it's, a, it's in the form of a question. What kind of wingless creature can fly for, for over a thousand kilometers nonstop at altitudes higher than four and a half kilometers? At altitudes of what? Higher than four and a half kilometers. I have no well, idea. I, I don't know. You should know, Mark, it's spiders. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from a story that Charles Darwin tells in his book, 
from, you know, a long time ago about uh, on his ship, there was like a rain of red spiders that were Ooh. that were all migrating off their little webby. They, they float off the web. They let the web go and then they float. But they were all in a huge mass. There were hundreds and hundreds of them and they all landed on the ship at the same time. Yeah. And I thought, well, if Mark wants a horror, a horror movie concept or a horror book concept. Well, <laughs> I, happen to, I happen to know Mark is not a fan of spiders. I was oh going to say. God. <laughs> now I can't go outside. So thank you for ruining the summer. It's Huntsman yeah, season. I can't have that in my head. <laughs> anyway, God, they're, they're really fun, they're really really fun books. So I just wanted to recommend them because I haven't been deep breathing very much at the moment with work being as crazy as it has been. He's really Thank consistent, so Dr. Carl, isn't he? Every year he brings out something like this with these amazing, weird, and wonderful. Yeah, things. they're so wonderful to read. And th this one has all this extra stuff. He he's really into um, uh, pop up holograms in the book, so you get the app. Again, it, it's what makes it a fun book to have open at Christmas uh, around that time of the year when you've got family over and stuff. You you get out your your app and you can see all the little pop up things that come out of the book. So it's very interactive. Great. Those are good kicks. Yes. Thanks, Joel. Uh, all right, Sarah. What about you? Okay, so I'm going to just first tell you a little bit of a story about how I came to read this book because um, being kids and my category manager and Moonlighting as a crime fiction reviewer, I tend to really stick in those categories in my reading. Um, and I, we recently returned to the Booktopia offices after a long time from working at home. And when I got in to the office, I noticed that we'd done a big clean out of all of the proofs that had been building up um, through the year and they'd gone onto the shelf in the kitchen where people can browse and, and read one. And so I can't help myself, even though I'm like got TBRs that are floor to ceiling, I still have to check what's on the proof shelf. I know, I, I know, the, I know the feeling. I did yeah. exactly the same thing. <laughs> I brought home all the books I didn't need. <laughs> yeah, I have to look. And so I looked and I um, and my eye was caught by the cover of this particular book that I'm about to name. And I picked it up and I read the description. And the book is um, Uncanny Valley by Laura Weiner. And this is a memoir about um, a, a woman who worked in the tech industry in Silicon Valley, like um, from about, I think it starts about 2013. So like really for that big, um, whatever you call the second wave of tech, right? Like, um, and my brother's really interested in the tech industry. And I was like, I might take this for my brother. But then when I, um, when I was looking at it, when I got home, I saw that it had a a pull quote on the cover that said, this is like Joan Didion at a startup. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I need to know what that is. And then um, and then by coincidence, I didn't start reading it, but then by coincidence, almost like the internet was trying to make me read this book, which after you've read this book, you will understand is a distinct possibility. Um, uh, I saw that the New York, I think it was the New York Times best books of the year had this book on it. And so that was like the fine, the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm like, that's it. I'm reading this book. Sorry, John, my brother, you don't get it. I read it. And then maybe I'll pass it on to him. But I am, I haven't finished it yet. I'm actually in the middle of this book and I'm really hooked. It is, it's been a while since I've read a memoir. Um, and if you would have told me that I would get hooked on a memoir about someone who works in the tech industry, I would have laughed. It's not something that... <laughs> I myself am, am very interested in, but the reason I think 
that this book is so compelling to me is that it's very she's a very great writer um at, it is I guess it is a little bit like Trentinian and a startup but she's an outsider so and I think that's why it got me because um if this were a book written by an insider on the inside like someone who's very much brought into um that world and startup culture then I would have been allergic to it you know but she uh, came from a publishing background and so the whole the whole book is written from the point of view of someone who kind of landed in this in startup culture almost by accident and um and then this slow process of seeing her like like where where it was really fascinating is she outlines her life before before she goes and works um in the Silicon Valley and she was you know, working for a, a small publishing company. She was living that life that all of us working in the book industry kind of really are familiar with the culture of. Um, publishing is like a really old industry and there's a lot of like traditions and it might not particularly at an entry level be hugely well paid, but everyone kind of views that as a rite of passage. Um, and because, so, you know, <laughs> It's very different from the tech industry. From the tech industry, everyone in it is young. Like you have all of these like kids in their early 20s who have a cool idea for an app. And then just based on that cool idea and maybe like a, a slickly designed interface and um, a few, you know, a good, a good spiel, they get millions of dollars invested in their company that they just came up with. And it's kind of like everyone has this collective suspension of disbelief and just believes in it. And then, and then it's got wheels. And then, and then, it, and then they reach a certain point in their development when they're like, "Oh, wait a second! This whole idea that we got people to buy into isn't working. We have to pivot." And so then they they pivot into something else. It's fascinating. And she's on the sidelines of it, and she wants to be taken really seriously by by all of these like young 22-year-old CEOs. She herself is about 25, so she's older than these people. Um, but she's kind of seduced into the idea that they need some of her expertise. Um, the first one she goes to work for is to do with ebooks. So she's their like their person who knows about books. And can you see why I got addicted to this? Like yeah. it's it, it's so Definitely. interesting. She's a really fascinating writer. She's got a lot of kind of wit and wry humour about it. Um, like, you can't help but like her and you can't help but if you, I think that this is, if you're like me and, you know, you don't, the, the closest I get to knowing about the tech industry is that show. What's that funny show about the group of guys in a tech startup? I've forgotten the name of it. Silicon Valley. Well, it is called Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. See what I mean? Okay, so that's that's about my, the extent of my knowledge. And like, for me, half the fun in this is she never names a single company. So she just describes what the companies do, and you can very easily glean which ones she's talking about. So hearing her talk about Airbnb and Amazon and Facebook and all this stuff without ever actually saying those words is um. I really, I don't know why she chose to do it that way, but I like it because it, I don't know, it makes you think more about what the company does and then what the company, how the company started and where they ended up. Anyway, 
I'm totally into it. Uh, I, I highly recommend it if you're looking for a memoir that's engaging on a topic that even if you aren't interested, you don't think you're interested in it, this book will make you interested in it. And if you are interested in it, I think obviously it's a, it's a no-brainer. Well, I want awesome. to congratulate you on veering off the young adult and children's path for a change. I mean, I, I, I never used to read those books, but then I got a, a job um, at a place called Booktopia and then... And then my reading sort of started getting dictated by my job. <laughs> it is nice. It is nice to venture outside. I normally, when I venture outside, it's reading old favorites, like and classics. But it's nice to venture outside on a newly published book. Although I do think it's early. I think it came out early 2020. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for that, Sarah. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's get ready. Put your jukes up and get into book fight. I love the energy, guys. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, as usual, we're going to choose a word that we're going to buzz in with to claim the question. Scott, what word are you going to go with? Oh, God, I always should think of this ahead of time, and I never do. Uh, well, how about... Uh, um, oh, golly. Um, how about my name? Why don't I say Scott? Sounds good. Uh, Joel, what are you going to jump in with? Blob. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's what I've become over eight months of uh, living in my house. Oh, Joel! <laughs> um, and Sarah? Uh, I'm just going to say Valley from Underneath. Okay. So I remember. Cool. All right, here we go. Question one. Uh, and I'll give, um, there's four points up for grabs here. Name the four sisters in Little Women. Valley. Joe, Beth, Amy, and Meg. Ding, ding. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Question two. Booker Prize winner Shaggy Bane by Douglas Stewart is set in which city and Scott. which decade? Scott. Glasgow in the 80s. Very good. I'll give you two points. Okay. This one, this one should be one that Sarah gets as well. Now I won't get it. Thanks so yeah. much. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> uh, a big budget adaptation of which dystopian YA series starring Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland is set to be released oh, in 2021? Sarah. Um, the Chaos, Chaos Walking. Yep. Very good. Uh, Chaos Walking by Patrick Ness. Uh, ooh. You're on five ooh, now, Sarah. Again. <laughs> okay. Which literary character holds the Guinness World Record for being portrayed by the most actors on screen? Ooh. I wonder if we could just guess it. See, I threw a general one out there, see? Is, is it a guessable thing? I, I'm going to guess. guess. Blob. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Go for it, Blob. Mike. Sorry. <laughs> what? I'm just laughing. At, I'm laughing at your you like You like Blob? Yeah. No. Okay. I, can do, I can do a movement too. <laughs> Blob. Uh, my guess is Sherlock Holmes. You are correct. Oh, well really? done. Yeah, uh, over, over 280 portrayals, according oh, wow, to. That's way more than I would have thought. My, my, yeah. my, my guess was going to be Dracula. but um, I imagine I that gonna, Dracula would be a I was going to guess either Robin Hood or Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I thought well they've been around for a long time. All right, we're getting slightly more obscure with this next question, but it's not science fiction or horror. 
Okay. It's landing time. Or it might not be obscure, actually. Let's see. Uh, the 1934 noir detective novel The Thin Man is by which author, and bonus points if you can name the iconic detective character he also created who doesn't appear in The Thin Man. Blob. Oh, I think I heard Blob first. Uh, the author is Dashiell Hammett. Very good. And the character is... Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to forget his name. <laughs> oh, I love these books, too. Uh, oh, my God. I'll give you a clue. Uh, famous book that the character was in was The Maltese Falcon. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware, Mark. Yeah, I know that. I know that. Uh, Maltese Falcon is, is Humphrey Bogart, and he plays Sam Spade. Sam Very Spade. good. Yep. There we go. Yes. There you go. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, this is one for the uh, people who have either read books to children at some point in their lives, because I think everybody's read this book to a kid, or, well, has just read a book to a child. Uh, how many different words are used in the classic Dr. Zeus book, Green Eggs and Ham? Different words. Wow. I don't know what you mean. Are you saying how many words are there in the book? Not how many words are there in, <laughs> in its entirety, but how many different words are used. He uses a certain number of words to, to tell the whole story, but it's just a certain number of words. Oh. Blub. I'll just Go guess. for it. Yeah. Uh, 60. Oh, you're close, but wrong. Mm. Oh, so you have to get it right on. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Blub. So, 59. 50. <laughs> Very good. It was 50. 50 different oh, I didn't know the answer to that, but I do have a letter that Dr. Seuss wrote to me when I wrote to him when I was a kid and Are I you treasure serious? it. Yes. Really? Yes. I've got, wow. I've got it framed with a cat in a hat cover next to it. When he came to Australia, I wrote welcoming him, saying I loved his books, and he wrote me back thanking me. And his signature is just like on the cover of the book, Dr. Seuss. Oh, wow. That's so cool. That's beautiful. Oh, that's just, awesome. I'm showing how old I am now, but anyway, it was many years ago. <laughs> okay, we are down to the last question and I'll do a score check. So we've got Scott on two, Sarah's in the lead on five, and Joel is on four. So Joel, you could you could tie it here. This is um uh the opening line of a novel question, which is one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that sound. <laughs> no. Which Mark, which Mark it... famously stole from me. <laughs> is the novel one of your favorites or the question about opening it, lines? The one novel of your is actually, it is a bit of a Mark novel. So I'll throw that out oh, there. Okay. Well. Oh, okay. Right. That, I will clue. never get this. Okay, but I think it's, it's famous outside of me. Um, <laughs> all right. The sky above the port was the color of television tuned to Love. a dead channel. Joel. It's Neuromancer. It is Neuromancer by William Gibson. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's one of my favorite books. I definitely know the first line of that book. So the that color of television. That. Interesting. Yeah. It's such so a cool book. That means that uh, you and Sarah are tied for first place. So we're going to go to the tiebreaker question, um, oh. which is, I've just clicked, I've just, I've just clicked onto the booktopia.com.au homepage. What is the best selling book on our homepage right now? Uh, Bob. Promised Land. Oh, mm. shit, I forgot to. Sorry, I forgot to. Uh, <laughs> is it a Promised Land? <laughs> it is a Promised Land. By Barack Obama. I feel like I feel like Sarah should get that. I think, All right, I Sarah, Sarah, I'm Sarah happy for it. us. I'm I happy. Stole it. Stay tired. I broke the rules. I'm, 
it's fine. You broke the rules, got it right, and you swore. So I'll, I'll give I, you a point for, for that. For that Sarah wins. Yay. I, I pride myself on my knowledge of books and how good I am at trivia, and I always fail this quiz. <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> To be fair, we actually look at it all the time, so I feel like we should yeah. know. All day we're staring at that bestseller list. And it's a book in my, it's a book in my category too, so I hope I know. Well, thank you guys for being good sports, and uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in to listen today. Uh, the Weekend Booktopian is produced by Nick Wasiliev. You can find links to the books that we've discussed today in the episode description, or you can just go and find them on booktopia.com.au. You can listen to all of our shows for free right now on SoundCloud and iTunes, including our recent interviews with Bruce Pascoe and Peter Fitzsimons. Until next time, thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au